AVXL episode 162 was recorded on November 29th, 2021. 2022 TVs, the deets and rumors are starting to roll in. Way too much info on replacing the power cable on your speakers, TV, PC, amp, or just about anything else in your home theater. The first Dolby Vision projector, power cable fun, and so much more. Don't forget, email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. And thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. Who is not dead, but tried mightily to fall to something that was not COVID because he swiped his tongue or his cheek or whatever you swipe. I could get naughty really quickly. <laughs> I do feel a little bit better today. Man, that cold I said I had the sniffles on, I think, the previous episode, it turned into a full-blown bit of flu that quickly uh, took over everyone who visited our household. So be aware. I am thankful for uh, lots of fluids and good food and (laughs) Sudafed in times like these. Oh, my goodness. I am thankful for many things, including my family and St. Louis and uh, music in general and uh, Maya and the three and about 30 other things. But uh, mostly I'm thankful to everybody that was able to join the hangout last night. Uh, It was a pleasure. I also promised to never schedule a hangout on the Sunday night after a major national holiday weekend, at least here in the United States, because uh, I suck and I haven't memorized all of the holiday calendars here or in any other country. Um. (laughs) On that note, I will apologize for not even making it to the meetup as I've spent the last few days in bed and I spent the greater part of yesterday in the same position. And today, today it is, uh, it is better. Although, I have to admit, one good thing at least, I, uh, even if I did a meetup, I wouldn't be spreading what I have to anyone else and get to contain it within the room <laughs> I'm currently sitting in. But, oh my goodness. Jeez. Well, let's, what do you think, Wednesday the 15th? We'll talk about this offline. That sounds like a plan. Uh, you said there was some uh, sweet C1 pricing at Amazon. Is there actually a, a meaningful reduction in the price of that OLED TV? I will say uh, the C1 from LG happens to be my favorite OLED for the given money and performance Mm -hmm. from LG this year. And if you've been waiting patiently for the the prices to hit that sweet spot right now on Amazon for Cyber Monday, I'm just looking across the board from the 48 inch up to the 77 inch. They are all priced very well right now. The lowest deals I've seen consistently throughout the year. So it is a good time. If you're considering maybe a, especially the 65 inch and the 77 inch percentage wise, those two sizes are receiving the greatest discounts currently. Nice. I'm eyeballing the 55 inch C1 even, and it's currently cheaper than I paid for my C9 back in the day. Like we talked about when you get the, uh, the, (laughs) the good price in mind and then it pops up online one day, like today, which happens to be a, a shopping holiday, so to speak. That's one of the few deals out there I've seen that's actually worth it and easy to acquire. You can actually just click and buy, and you get a great TV for it if it works for you. Nice. Otherwise, uh, go bright. Go LCD. <laughs> if you can't go OLED, go for the light cannon. Well, the challenge, right, is is that it's it's that most wonderful time of the year 
um, where you're balancing uh, holiday shopping and the fact that we're going to find out about all the new televisions for 2022, at least traditionally at CES, uh, the week after the new year starts. With that in mind, 2022 TV rumors, what are you hearing, man? The good folks at HGTV Test posted a video about the latest releases, and I will quote the news item within the YouTube video itself. Quote, new 2022 LG TVs have been leaked on a Korean government agency that certifies telecommunications equipment. That's effectively the Korean version of something like the FCC. And using Google Cache, they also found that LG had posted or previously listed something called the 42-inch C2 OLED in addition to a 83-inch G2 OLED in addition to listings for A and B2 models. So I would assume, going by these releases, that we're looking at an upgrade from the 1 to the 2 series across the board, including... The A and B models, which will be the more value-oriented panels. The C2 making its comeback, and the G2 will probably be the most premium of those. That gallery design for folks who want that look and prefer it maybe over the C2 itself. And the one thing nobody knows at this point is, are there any updates to the panels themselves? Is this any kind of a new technology, an advancement over the Evo tech they introduced in their G panels, and apparently in some of the larger C panels as well for 2021? It's kind of nice to see these early names of the products, but we still really don't know what it is in terms of what's going to make them special compared to last year. I assume they're going to have advanced processing, something better than last year. Things like 120 hertz for gaming, in addition to what they already have in terms of providing HDR at those high frame rates for the gamers, in addition to the already terrific picture panel quality itself in terms of how that looks in a room. Uh, what we right. don't know also includes, will these be any brighter? Will there be any significant increase in brightness over what they did for the, say, the C1 and the G1 last year? Those items remain to be seen. And whatever secret sauce they might have in their new processors, too. I would say, given these listings, it's pretty confirmed that, yeah, there's going to be a 2 Series coming from LG to replace the 1 Series, as it was with the previous 10 Series going to the 1 Series, and it's looking good. Looking pretty solid on those rumors. Yay. Be very, very curious to see what they've actually done yeah. to it, if it's going to be a, you know, a glass change or if they've just tweaked uh, everything behind the glass. Me too. Everything that feeds the glass. Make those pretty pixels. Shifting gears a little bit, uh, we should have talked about this a few weeks ago, but there was a terrible cut and paste error. And so we're talking about it now. And it, in some ways, it doesn't actually matter because you can't buy it in the U.S. anyway. But we were kind of fascinated to see that the first Dolby Vision home theater projector was on sale. It's from Xiaomi. It's a really peculiar mix of things. Uh, Rob Saban over at Projector Central called Dolby to verify that this was an official Dolby Vision projector. It's an ultra short throw projector. I want to say about 2400 ANSI lumens. While it does have the ability to process all of the metadata that makes Dolby Vision so interesting, um, it does not do full HDR color gamut. It's like 113% of Rec. 709, which how far is that from like full BT 2020? 
a bit off, actually. That's not even covering DCI color that you would get from some premium projectors today in terms sure. of using filters the way JVC does or even some of the high-end RGB laser projectors we've seen from the likes of right. Samsung or Hisense. This is using a two-laser design, I believe, a, a red and a blue laser, and probably a second blue laser as well that then drives your phosphor material to get your greens and yellows and even more red uh, out of it. But it isn't delivering the color, at least, to even cover DCI. And that's a little disappointing, but it has decent brightness. And it is, like you mentioned, the Cinema 2 projector from Xiaomi is the first to actually yeah. have officially sanctioned Dolby Vision support built in, which is really cool. <laughs> and it's hopefully not going to be the last because we do need steady improvements with things like automatic tone mapping for when you play HDR content on a projector that has limited light output, that you're getting a good viewing experience. Right. And that's the beauty of something like having Dolby Vision built in where the content can actually say, hey, as we transition between light and dark scenes, here are ways of maybe optimizing the iris or other ways of adjusting the brightness to get the best contrast and picture quality per scene or per frame. And I have no problem incorporating something like Dolby Vision into a projector like that. And I'm really grateful that companies like JVC and Sony and LG are offering automatic tone mapping features already on some of their best designs. It would be nice to see the actual Dolby Vision stamp of approval or the official sanctioning of the uh, use of that technology <laughs> within pro more projectors. And yeah, I think that will be a trend for next year for sure. Again, this is the first Dolby Vision projector. There's a, there's a ton of Dolby Vision content out there. Uh, you know, the alternative to Dolby Vision would be HDR10+. And either way, you're talking about dynamic tone mapping, where there's metadata in the signal that allows the tone mapping to change to whatever works best for a particular scene. Because, hey, if it's a, a scene in space or a, a fight in a dark room, it's very, very different from, say, bunnies frolicking in sunshine, um, which is a weird example even for me. I can hear a teenager giggling in the background. And I'm kind of curious to see, if, uh, to hear or see if we, if we have some updates on this in the CES timeframe, because there's been a couple projector announcements that have been canceled in the last few months. And I'm, I, I feel, I'm using the feeling words here, I feel uh, in the group, I feel that supply issues have pushed off the announcements of a bunch of projectors uh, and, a, and a bunch of, of the high quality HD or HDR projectors have their replacements are getting along in the tooth. And we're kind of waiting to hear uh, about their replacements. Not that there's anything wrong. Not that I want to look at my projector and think to myself, there's a newer, better one out there. And I have FOMA, but uh, I'll be very, very curious to see if any major projector manufacturers announce Dolby Vision projectors next year. It's coming sooner than we think. 2022 is right around the corner. <laughs> it's practically here yeah something crazy i'm obsessed with power amplifiers for stereo listening because it is a particular nerdery if you knew how many amps i had you'd probably be shocked and stop listening but kind of crazy uh the topping pa5 is just announced it is now the quietest amp audio science reviews ever measured and the quietest amp they've ever measured in terms of Synad is benchmarks ahb2 that's a three thousand dollar amplifier and the topping PA5 sells for $350. Wow. It also currently sells direct from Shenzhen, 
Uh, I ordered one in from Apos Audio. There's there's several different uh, places that essentially act as retailers and ship from Shenzhen to various places around the world. There's like a whole world of what a friend of mine from HeadFi calls uh, ChaiFi or Chinese high fidelity. So I ordered one in. I'm very, very curious to hear it. And uh, the specs we'll look talk, good. Uh, Specs look ridiculous. You know, it should give the better part of a, you know, a hundred very, very quiet watts into a four ohm load. And I will get more into this and my uh, search for a decent hundred dollar amplifier and my frustrations with that uh, in a episode in the near future. Cool. You were telling me that Synad results of say 90 decibels or higher are considered pretty good. Yeah. So... Yeah, this being at 106, and even comparing it to a three thousand dollar benchmark amp, <laughs> I can't wait to get it in. Looking forward to it. Yeah, oddly enough, the quietest amp I have is my Sonos amp, and it's got a cyanide measurement of like 92 off the digital input, basically when you're streaming to it, and it's pretty flawless. There have been a lot of mostly uh, either high end Class A B or Hypex or Purify Class D amplifiers that measure ridiculously quiet. Oddly enough, the Benchmark AHB2 is its own thing based on THX's uh, AAA technology, which we've seen in a lot of headphone amplifiers. Let me stop because I will just go on and on and put both of us to sleep. Uh, well, I'll put you to sleep and probably everybody listening. But <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't take six months to get it and it's more like yeah. a couple of weeks, but we'll see. Hopefully it doesn't take six months and hopefully it's not like the last uh, inexpensive amp I purchased. And I, I, on one hand, $350 isn't inexpensive. On the other hand, this is so much less expensive than anything else in its performance range. Stuff that's not doesn't measure this well typically costs six or seven hundred dollars minimum, uh, or is like seven hundred dollars for a kit you assemble yourself. So I'm yeah I'm I'm super curious about this. I just hope that you know it doesn't have a lot of noise when I turn the volume knob. That said, Topping has a really really good reputation for building some quality products. So excellent. I wait. So, yeah, it's an adventure. So at a great price. Other thing I was laughing about is uh, I've been thinking a lot about subwoofers and we were talking about subwoofers in the hangout last night and subwoofer location and, and kind of what that means. I was also uh, laughing because when you look at uh, what feeds the subwoofer, you know, the term of art for that is actually, at least on the surround sound front, is LFE or low frequency effects. Um <laughs> I had a moment because I was just like, oh, yeah, I should mention that, you know, that subwoofer port on your uh, AVR is for the low frequency effects channel. True that. Roughly 3 to 120 hertz. Quote, this track, says Wikipedia, is normally sent to a subwoofer, a loudspeaker designed to reproduce very low frequencies. LFE channels originated in Dolby Stereo 70mm film, but in the 1990s and 2000s, they became common in home theater systems in order to reproduce film soundtracks found on DVDs and Blu-ray discs. So, they're also nice for, you know, music. <laughs> yes. A sub helps just about any speaker out there. We got a viewer question from B.O.E. Kelly, or at Bo Kelly. Uh, he tweets... Is OLED still worth it? I've been looking at the Sony A80J, but also the Hisense U8G, and I'm trying to decide if OLED is worth the extra cost. What do you recommend for $2,500 or less? And, you know, if you look at the price of a 65-inch flat panel, 
TCL 5 series and 65 inches is 700 bucks. The Hisense U8G is a grand. The Hisense U7G, uh, which in theory is a little bit of a step above the TCL 5 series, is uh, I think 650 to $800, depending on where you're buying it right now. Because prices are in flux. Yeah, you can get it for like $650 from Walmart. And it is currently $800 on Amazon. But there's kind of a hole in between. <laughs> in between the best image quality possible with caveats, which is, you know, 2500 normally or like 1700 right now on Black Friday. And a really, really good television, which is about $800. If you've got the room for it. OLEDs and, and the money, OLED is the way to go, right? It comes down to the room environment that you're viewing the screen on. Uh, generally yeah. speaking, if you have even the most basic lighting control within the room where you can really appreciate inky dark details in a screen or a picture that you're looking at, that's where OLED's always going to dominate in terms of being just that pure eye candy. However, if you're in mm -hmm. a brightly lit room or you generally watch TV during the day and you're not sitting in a dark environment, that's where something like the light cannon capabilities of something like the UAG, right. which can literally do about twice the light output of an OLED, is going to make a lot of sense. And the price is right if you need a 65-inch screen and you're not looking for something larger. With a budget of $2,500, that's just a couple hundred bucks shy of what you could do, say, with a 77-inch OLED. That would be a nice step up. If 65 is going to be the perfect size for you, you have plenty of options for well under $2,500, right. uh, including that UHG you mentioned, something like the C1 OLED, which is currently on sale for about 1800 bucks. If you wanted to step it up in terms of like a higher-end Samsung, their 65-inch is right around 2200 bucks for the QN90A. That's their 4K TV for 2021, one of the very best out there. Their 8K, of course, is going to be, I think, their flagship of the year in terms of light output and picture quality, but... Uh, you're going to pay a little bit more for the 8K resolution. Still, focus on the screen size. That would really work best in your environment. The thing I love about Sony TVs, like he mentions, the A80J, they generally have really good out-of-the-box calibrated picture quality in one of the presets available. You can also do a nice daytime viewing mode with a little extra color and punch to the picture when needed. And they generally have very good sound quality for a TV speaker system. So those are all things I absolutely appreciate about Sony. And if you're a videophile, like you mostly watch movies, you're not much of a gamer. I lean more towards <laughs> Sony as well. Whereas something like the UHG or the C1 OLED in particular, those things have every gaming feature you pretty much want on a modern TV at prices you can swing within that budget, definitely. <clears throat> That's the hard part. What size screen would work best for you? Right. For that budget, 65 and inches is going to be no problem. Totally. Consider that. Because one thing I've seen, at least in terms of the reviews I've read on the U8G, is that yes, it is a super bright TV, but it does not offer the off-axis viewing performance you're going to get with an OLED. And even compared to the U7G, uh, the U8G has a better backlight system in terms of dynamic contrast, in terms of being able mm -hmm. to do local dimming really well. The U7G, while it doesn't have that as much, it produces a picture which would look just fine in a well-lit room where you really can't appreciate the dark detail anyway. 2500 bucks is a nice budget. And if I have that in the budget, I'm suddenly looking above 65 inches and that's where I would then make some choices. But uh, for that though, 
man, uh, 65 inch anything. I don't believe they make the U8G any larger than 65 currently. I could be wrong on that, but I think that's uh, the largest one listed, and it's yeah. you know, it's currently selling. I think it's 2200 normally, and currently selling for 1800 dollars uh, for as long as the holiday. Oh, for the OLED prices hold. Yeah, for the OLED. Yeah, and with like something like the 77 inch C1 currently at 2900 dollars. Oh, that'd be a nice bump up in screen size over a 65 inch if you have the <laughs> space for it. But but if 65 yeah. inches is the primo size for you right now, that's one of the best deals currently is uh, yeah. on that 65 inch C1. And I would say 65 inch screens overall are going to offer some of the steepest discounts through the holidays. Makes sense. So OLED. Maximum image quality, mostly focused on television and movies, and you need to have a room where it's not too bright. Totally. I find, especially with SDR content as well, your standard dynamic viewing, unless you put a C1 OLED into a an HDR everything mode or something that's really going to jack up the overall brightness of it, it might not be enough for regular viewing. But with HDR, your average OLED's going to hit 800 nits or greater which is pretty impressive, mm-hmm. even in a, a moderately lit room. But True that. if you're fighting the light, that's where LCD really stands out in terms of being able to deliver just superb brightness per given screen size. There you have it. Brian posted on patreon.com slash AVXL. I have a pair of Kef LS50 wireless. I'm looking to replace the black power cables with white ones. Not sure where to start and not looking for audiophile prices. Thanks, Brian. I laughed. I'm like, what? You don't want to pay $200 for a four-foot-long 12-gauge cable with rhodium-plated contacts? Oh, man. Uh, that was the first thing that came up when uh, I, I searched for Kef LS50 cable. And the second or third thing that came up was this utterly hysterical conversation on a website where somebody was talking about their, I don't know, $400 power cables and all of the magical things they did to the Kef LS 50s when they plugged it in, which I suspect is bias confirmation, but uh, that's me. Um, there you go. TLDR. Uh, look, almost any white PC slash AVR slash amp slash TV power cable is going to work just fine for those Kef LS 50s. And now that I've said that, right, you know, you can you can get a, I think if there's a simple co c-i-m-p-l-e there's an ac power cord three prong the three foot version of it is 950 the six foot version of it is 10 bucks the 15 foot version of it is 1247 they claim it's ul listed it's up on amazon right geeking out the power cables the ls50 use they're essentially pc power cables they have the same ends uh and that same end that three prong end you're you're going to see it on avr and amplifiers and a whole bunch of stuff around your house to get technical that is a nema 5-15p a us three prong male plug to an iec 60320c13 the uh, female three prongs that fit in a pc power supply um and uh, again, you know, you see them all the time. You probably don't even register them, but it's a 515P to C13. And you might be wondering, especially given some of the crazy, you know, three foot thick cables that audio companies sell, well, what are the power? How much power? How much power am I pulling through this? So an LS50 Meta L, that's the latest version of the LS50 wireless, um, has a 100 watt class AB amplifier and a 280 watt class D amplifier. And those power the tweeter and the bass driver. And they spec the power on that at 200 watts operating power and less than 2 watts in standby mode. 
So the original LS50 wireless has a 200 watt Class D amp in each speaker for the woofer, and each speaker has a 30 watt Class A B amplifier for the tweeter. So I think the LS50 Meta's power operating power rating of 200 watts is good to go. Now, 200 watts divided by 120 volts is 1.66666666666 whatever amps. That's well within the 10 amp spec for a basic 18 gauge 515p to C13 cable. And I dug around, I found a chart, right? A 12 AWG or, or a 12 American wire gauge, a 12 gauge power cable is rated for 20 amps. A 14 gauge power cable, which I have seen a couple of, is rated for 15 amps. Uh, 16 and 18 gauge are rated for 13 and 10 amps respectively. And if you see them, and I don't see them too often, a 20 AWG power cable is rated for seven amps. So you are drawing like two amps and there's one speaker or one cable for each speaker, right? So in theory, just about any power cable you can buy, if it's, you know, if they're not lying on the box, should have more than enough copper in, inside of it to support the load you're pulling. Right. That simple co cable I mentioned uh, that they say is UL rated, it's like 950 for three feet, a 15 foot cable is 1250, and those are all rated for 10 amp. They have 18 gauge wire. Uh, if you want less resistance, or if you just want to, you know, overkill things, which I think is kind of my nature in general, you can go with a 14 gauge, 15 amp cable. If you're a little nervous about buying from somebody you've never heard of on Amazon, uh, you could try cables.com, another website. I would not be shocked to find out that half these cables are made in the same giant factory in, in or outside of Shenzhen in China. There's no blue jeans cable, power cables, as far as I know. But, right, if you go up to uh, cables.com, I think they have white, yellow, red, green, and maybe blue, uh, along with black. And their 3-foot, 18-gauge, 10-amp rated cable is selling for $6. And they've got a, up to a 15-foot, 10-amp rated cable for $14. And if you want less resistance or, you know, if you're feeling the need for a little bit of overkill, um, you can go to cables.com and you can spec out a 15-amp cable. It's a 14-gauge wire, in, or three 14-gauge wires inside of there um, that's rated for 15 amps. And I think it tops out at uh, $18 for a 10-foot cable, and a basic 6-foot cable sells for about $12. And let me put that in perspective. In house wiring, a 14-gauge wire gets a 15-amp circuit breaker, and a 12-gauge wire gets a 20-amp breaker. If you want a 20-amp breaker on the circuit, you have to go with 12-gauge wire. So again, your 2-amp load it should be good to go on any reasonable length power cable you can get for those LS50s. Would you recommend for somebody who had a, a cable that you just wanted to change the color of that they could do something like a shrink tubing? Or just right. to pick a color, if you already have a bunch of shrink tubing, you know, make it any color you want. I kind right. of assume it would probably make the cable a little bit stiffer, and you can't really do it over <laughs> the plugs themselves. At you least for just anything you're going to, I was going to point out, stick in the you know back of the LS50. But anyway, that was like the first thought I had. It would be very stiff. Um, True. Shrink wrap tends to make wires very stiff, which can be problematic in terms of, of you know, if, if the wire sticks out straight and then the weight comes down, it can, it can put some leverage that you do not want on the connectors in the back of your, uh, of your expensive speakers. I mean, the really big problem, though, is, is you already hit it, right, is any shrink wrap big enough to go over that three-prong end or the other end is going to not be able to shrink down tight enough to 
you know, snugly hug the cable. You'd basically have to cut one of the ends off and then mount another uh, plug on the end, which I think is probably kind of defeating the whole purpose. So if you don't mind the plugs not matching, it's doable. But otherwise, <laughs> for the prices you're talking about, especially yeah. for a white colored cable, I would, yeah, yeah I wouldn't bother. I will, I would go I will right say the, they're... <laughs> go right to the store. <laughs> Get it done. And I'll be honest with you, I've actually been looking for a better source. It's it's getting kind of difficult to find non-chintzy, crappy uh, replacement plugs, right? Because I, I, had, I had an extension cord that somebody had, had uh, damaged the ends on, so I had to, you know, cut it off. And I went to get a new plug from the big box store, and then I went to an electrical store. And it was amazing. The major electrical manufacturers have gotten super sophisticated in making these, uh, I guess, idiot-proof plugs that really make me nervous <laughs> I hear you. you know i'm sure it makes their lawyers happy because there's no screws but it makes me really nervous because they're made out of of you know cheap plastic it has no heft so uh, i may be feeling a little old school on that by the way uh there are some really big multi-channel class ab amps especially uh for home theaters that will demand 15 or even 20 amp power cables and essentially their own power circuit on your mains because if you if you max out the current demand on that it will basically uh, if you have more than one amp or more than one thing on that circuit you will blow your breaker uh, it is highly unusual to happen um, because i don't there's it's very rare that you you peak out like seven channels simultaneously you know when i rewire my home theater there's basically going to be one plug that is literally just for the amplification just uh it's you know it's kind of a pain in the ass when you when you get into the, like you know the, I'm talking about big massive like ATI amplifiers or or some of the old Krell amplifiers you know where they weigh like 300 pounds and they can draw all of the current in your house I exaggerate grossly in that totally uh, that's where you want to stick with the heavier wire gauges for sure <laughs> but for something like yeah. the LS50 Meta man you have some good options for you know what yeah. apparently whatever color cable you would like including white <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm laughing because, like, at one point I went through all of my uh, 515P to C13 cables, and I basically threw out anything that wasn't rated for at least 18, or wasn't marked as 18-gauge wire. So uh, I now want to find at least one 12-gauge power cable just so I can hold it in my hand and see how ridiculously heavy it is. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Speaking of cable, Adam tweeted, best speaker cable spool on Amazon UK. Oh, man. <laughs> Somebody needs the wire. My eyeball was twitching because I was trying to mentally convert uh, American wire gauge uh, to millimeters because a lot of the product, or at least one of the most popular products on Amazon.co.uk is Cable Direct, and that's cable with a K. They have a 2.5 millimeter times 15 meter uh, copper stereo cable that has like 11,000 positive reviews. And there's basically a whole bunch of cable they sell. And I feel like that's a really popular car stereo brand because they have like four and six millimeter cables. And to put that into perspective, 2.588 millimeters is 10 gauge wire, which is even I would consider that overkill. Yeah. <laughs> That's for almost any speaker I have ever owned. Uh, 12 gauge is 2.052 millimeters, and then uh, 14 gauge is 1.628 millimeters. Um, so we generally recommend uh, 12 gauge wire, which is again 2.052 millimeter, which most people would consider overkill. There is a lot of smaller stuff on Amazon.co.uk. There are a lot of spools of, of 16 gauge and 18 gauge. 
I would say a minimum of 14 gauge, uh, which is 1.628 millimeters. Uh, Cable Direct has a two by 1.5 millimeter, 50 meter spool. Uh, Javax sells some 12 gauge stuff. The biggest thing to watch out for is I've, I see a lot of copper coated aluminum, uh, which I do not think you want. I think you want a pure cable like pure copper cable. And I'm not talking about like right. Bavarian copper harvested under a moon with the blood of an elk splashed over it, but just like basic solid copper. I'm not a big fan of copper over aluminum because the resistance uh, rises a lot higher, a lot quicker from an electrical perspective. So hopefully that helps, Adam. Excellent. Hey, during my uh, illness this week, I was going <laughs> through my needs for my workstation. And the only thing I'm really left wanting is more USB 3.2 adapters for it. Oh, yeah. uh, I got a taste of USB 3.1 with a five gigabit per second connection to an external SSD that I use all the time. And that's pretty much saturating that connection. And my motherboard has USB 3.2 Gen 2 right on the motherboard. Uh, apparently it's in type E connector and I just want to give a quick shout out to Ganesh on Twitter for finding a potential product. I was looking for something that would go from the motherboard in this advanced port that will give me the full 10 gigabit to a front panel adapter of some kind, just to make a little, uh, take advantage of the components I actually have in my system. And sure enough, I found a, on Amazon, or he pointed me to a nice adapter for that. And it simply includes a type E connector that would simply convert that connector on my motherboard into a pretty standard USB three cable that can handle the full 10 gigabit up to this breakout box that will fit in a, in this case, a three and a half inch drive bay that is becoming oh so rare on new computers nowadays I've seen. And I was going down the rabbit hole of, Hey, is there anything beyond 10 gigabit right now for USB? And it turns out, of course, there is USB 3.2 super speed 20 gigabit. That's already a standard. And I don't know of any devices out there. I had a hard enough time finding a 10 gigabit adapter. So I'm uh, taking full advantage of that. Not the cheapest product, but that should get me uh, the full 10 gigabit. Easily accessible right from the front of the computer for when I add maybe a, oh, I don't know. How am I going to saturate that? I guess just two SSDs would do it. Or uh, some kind of a, like a RAID 0 pairing of those drives. But anyway. <laughs> you know what it is. It's Sometimes just, I literally just want the super highway. Yeah. I literally have this component unused sitting on my computer. I'm using the uh, 5 gigabit USB port. And I just want to take advantage of that full 10 gigabit port that's sitting there. Currently unoccupied and unused and unloved. And I will take advantage of it. But anyway, I went down a rabbit hole of firmware and my optical drive, but I don't know how exciting that is for anybody besides myself. <laughs> Did you watch anything while you were sick? No. It's the strangest thing. I couldn't focus very well during this cold. So I ended up spending just a lot of time cleaning up stuff around the house and taking care of business, but a little bit of gaming, but it just wasn't doing it for me. And thank goodness I'm getting better now and I'm feeling more myself. This is a good thing. Yeah. Sleep, fluids, rest. That, that was the only thing they did it for me. Sleep. 100% agree with those. That treatment plan. And thank goodness it apparently <laughs> isn't anything worse <laughs> with current news the way it is. With that, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to about wrap it up for this episode of AVXL. But hey, first of all, I want to say 7 p.m. Eastern. 
let's make it 8 p.m. Eastern. Let's put it right in the middle of prime time. 8 p.m. <laughs> Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, we'll do a hangout on the 14th of December for the patrons. And thank you again to all of our patrons that made it last night. And thank you to all of our patrons who make this show possible. It's patreon.com slash avxl. If you've got a question for us, do us a favor, email ask at avxl.com or tweet at Robert Heron or at Patrick Norton or at avxl. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we hope uh, you are having an excellent day. And i got to figure out how to get the termites out of a floor joist, which will require me calling a professional, which will hopefully call me back because hiring contractors right now is a wicked ripping pain in the posterior. Yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Good luck. I want to pay you money. Call me back. Good oh luck. Oh, my goodness. All right, everybody. I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL.